Welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, a queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Ah, and tonight we are talking about Out of Sight, Out of Mind, a title that is a bit of cause and effect. Toby dips out of sight. Spencer loses her mind. This is an episode, like last week, where there's a lot of build-up, 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 and then we, in the last 12 minutes, get a great deal of action. We get a car pushed in a lake, we get a prospective dead body and a mental breakdown, in the intervening, you know, minutes, we have some friendship drama between Spencer and Emily. We also have a lot of stuff with Prezra and his fake son and Arya's drama therein. Uh, and then we also um, we also have Emily doing her darndest to get murdered and being a super bad friend to Spencer. Yes, last last week, uh, Emily was a super bad girlfriend. This week, Emily's a super bad friend. She is just losing points left and right. I worry that she will be in the negatives by the time we reach the end of this season. Yeah, I hate to say this, but Emily is my mortal enemy slash nemesis in this episode. I am really mad about the way that she behaves. And I don't know, I might just be feeling a little punchy on this, you know unknown the week of quarantine or uh it, you know it might be other stuff but i was so mad at so many characters in this episode if you too are feeling rage that you have no displacement channel for please join me on this journey of being super angry <laughs> with the many residents of rosewood yeah yeah they are they're really making some some poor choices in this particular episode um, should we should we dive right into the mess? Oh, I I think we should. We open on a still shattered, still damp Spencer, now wearing a sack slash robe slash nightgown, as Emily arrives to hug and comfort her. No one can reach Hannah, but Arya decides this is too important to wait. They must know who is helping Mona. When questioned, Spencer reveals that she is known for a few weeks meaning we're now week nine or 10 of Endless November, and we're still in season three. Will there be more than 52 weeks in Endless November? Place your bets now. Uh, anyway, Spencer says that she was warned not to tell. She wanted to be sure. She didn't want to believe it could be true. But after tonight, hat tip to Venus theory last week that Spencer believes he is going to kill her. Uh, Spencer now has to let them in on the secret. Tobe is a... Arya gasps at the news that her relationship is briefly slipping into second place on Rosewood's most fucked up list. But Emily makes a face of incredulous disbelief. That's right. Um, now, of course, Hannah is not at this particular meeting because Hannah has been at the scene of the crime with her mom. Uh, the two of them have, have, of course, just come by from the hit and run of Wilden, whose body was not there when they went by and looked. And now they are arriving home. Ashley thinks that maybe he got himself to a hospital. She wants to call the hospitals and also get her lawyer on board. Hannah worries that he might have crawled away into the woods and does not think that Ashley should admit to anything. Hannah, of course, has plenty of experience with the Rosewood PD and knows that this will not go well for Ashley should she turn herself in. 
Um, Ashley, you know, talks about how 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 scary this all was and is still, you know, kind of processing the trauma. Clearly, Hannah points out that it was self-defense. Um, Hannah agrees to keep the secret from the liars. Ashley agrees to not get the Rosewood PD involved for now. There's a very, very tense moment where they hear the sound of sirens going by. Uh, we stay in the stillness and the panic with the two of them as thankfully the sirens uh, dissipate. And uh, th- we just know that, you know, anytime they hear a siren from now on, they are going to be jumpy. Um, how do you feel about the way that they, the choices that they make in this first scene of this particular situation? Well, I think it's really interesting because it feels like Hannah is inducting Ashley as a surrogate liar. Mm -hmm. Hannah is telling her not to behave as like the adult woman that you are. Hannah is teaching her how to react like Hannah and her friends would react in this situation because they have experience living under the thumb of A. Hannah doesn't tell Ashley about A, Maybe she should at this point. Maybe that would be a good thing for her to do. Um, but I feel like um, this is a situation which sometimes happens with Hannah and Ashley where the roles are reversed and Hannah is kind of trying to like take on the mantle of the adult who knows what to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where there's sort of no going back from the moment of, of Ashley making the call to not herself in in some way um but i also completely understand the impulse based on all of their past experiences with the rosewood pd you know they know that this whatever they do is going to get twisted hannah in particular knows that with a around anything can get twisted to make them look really really bad so uh i i understand and yet also there's just knowing what's going to happen to both of them with all of this it's just like oh god Oh, ladies, it's going to get so much worse for you. Well, it is. It's a tough call because not taking these actions is going to make Ashley look way more guilty when things are eventually revealed. And I kind of felt like, you know, we know that her lawyer is Veronica Hastings. So I do feel like it's probably fine to tell your lawyer if you have committed a crime. However, uh, in the world of A, A could be bugging Veronica's office. A could be bugging Ashley's phone like I think that Hannah's worry is not so much that like once you tell your lawyer it's all downhill from there but just that like once there's any kind of record that exists in the world um, then we're in trouble right well and I mean it's so funny because Hannah will later involve a fellow liar in this in a way that seems not wildly necessary (laughs) and just kind of uh, makes it worse for everybody Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. But I love, uh, even though I was saying that I hate everyone in Rosewood this week, I always have love in my heart for the Marins and for their plight. Uh, so I like all oh. of the stuff with Ashley and Hannah in this episode quite a bit. I agree. Yeah, Hannah, I really like Hannah in this episode, even though she's making some not great choices. I mean, she has an extremely queer look that she's wearing for the majority of this episode. And for that fact, I cannot be mad at her. Yeah, and as Spencer's hair gets wilder as she, like, goes through this, like, spiral that she's in, ending with, like, the wildest hair uh, when when she's being taken in by the park rangers, Hannah's hair gets queerer as this episode goes on. I feel like uh, Hannah has extremely uh, queer-look hair by the time she's done pushing that car into the lake. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. It's true. <laughs> it really is. Oh, goodness. Um, so, oof, we are starting off with a rough scene post-credits. Arya is asking some invasive questions as she and Spencer explore the theory that Allison's journal was right and that Toby hated them all since the firecracker blinded Jenna and he got blamed for it. Arya really draws this out. So the whole time he was with you, he was just pretending? Uh, Emily disagrees. She thinks that Mona must have something on him. Spencer argues that she's thought of this from every angle. Nothing else makes sense. But Emily is sure that Toby loves Spencer and there must be more to it. Um, Spencer says that if he loved her, he would not have let her ball outside his apartment for hours. He wouldn't have cleared out the A-layer once she knew that he once he knew that she had a key, and he wouldn't be trying to hurt Spencer and the others. Emily still isn't sold, and when she says firmly that the Toby she knows would never do anything to hurt any of them, Spencer winds up laughing hysterically in her face for trying to sunshine and daisies her way through this information. Uh, Spencer tells her that she needs to stop thinking about Toby as the person she thought she knew and start seeing him for who he really is. Emily, her voice hard and angry, asks how she's supposed to do that. Spencer tells her to look at the facts and points out that Mona is now in New York with the decathlon team, so she couldn't have locked Spencer in steam. Emily shakes her head and Spencer yells at her, the sooner you wrap your head around this, Emily, the better. Woof. Yeah, this is a tough scene. I mean, Arya is like a hair's breadth away from from asking Spencer, you know, are you saying that Toby faked every orgasm of your relationship together, Spencer? It's like, okay, Arya, calm down. Um, And, uh, you know, Spencer's line about if he loved me, he wouldn't have let me sit outside alone outside of have his loft bawling my eyes out for hours. Like, I feel like this is the this is the line that Spencer needs to remember later uh, this very season in the beginning of next season when she's just going to, you know, happily forgive Toby for all of this. Um, And it is funny. I mean, I think like Emily is not behaving very well in this episode I can kind of give her a little bit of slack cut her a little bit of slack for this opening scene just because it uh, it is so very shocking it's the last thing she's expecting to hear although given the way that Spencer's been behaving the past couple of weeks and the fact that Spencer and Toby broke up should it really be all that shocking um but Spencer Spencer's like number one piece of evidence being that Mona was uh, at the decathlon thing and that means that Toby was here. It's kind of funny to me because they've known since way before the Toby reveal that Mona had help. And so just like, <laughs> well, the only logical person that that leaves behind is Toby um, is kind of funny, especially considering the fact that at the end of last episode, uh, Emily got the information about Melissa and who was theoretically in the house alone with Spencer before all this happened, but Melissa Hastings. Well, I mean, I feel like the the better argument for it being Toby is that Spencer caught him in her kitchen trying to steal the key back wearing a black hoodie. Also, that A, dropped the key out of a hole in their pocket that Toby had 
in his pocket during the incident where Hannah got injured. I mean, there's lots better evidence than what they're citing here. But, you know, Emily, I know this is new information for Emily, but the thing that bugs me about this is I feel like the show is kind of holding Emily up as this model of loyalty based on their eventual conclusion that she's right and Toby only joined the A-team and is about to fake his own death and torture his beloved into an asylum out of purely good intentions. Like, that's where the show goes. So I feel like the show is kind of like, Emily is right. Emily is loyal. Spencer is bad to believe all this, you know, negative stuff about Tobey. Um and, you know, the whole intentions matter more than actions is its own problem to, like, unpack in its own time. But, like, focusing on Emily here, she is being a terrible friend. This is not about, like, choosing a side between your two friends who've had a breakup. Like, Spencer is telling them at great emotional cost that Toby has hurt her that he tried to kill her, that the face he presented to the world, the picture of them as a couple, all that was false. What Emily should be doing here is believing Spencer, her traumatized best friend. Like, I mean, this is like why so many assaults and situations of domestic abuse go unreported, the fear that no one is going to believe the survivors. And, and I also just like to point out that Toby did put his hands on Emily during the first half of this season. But even if he had not, just because someone has never abused you personally does not mean that their conduct with everyone else in the world ever has been unimpeachable. I know that Emily as a character is capable of a lot of blind loyalty, but I really feel like this is a bridge too far. Oh yeah. I very well said. And I completely agree. And yeah, I mean, Emily Emily is acting as though Toby is, you know, Jesus Christ himself. Like, like Toby is just nothing, like nothing, you know, Toby could never do anything bad. And, and it's, it's just, um, I feel like I, I agree that I feel like this is sort of the attitude that the show kind of holds up more and more as it goes on, especially like after, you know, the whole Prezra thing comes out where it's like, but all the intentions were good and the guy was really good hearted and you should really just give him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, love conquers all. And it's it's really such a damaging message. Um, and it's it's really hard to hear Spencer, you know, say some of the words that she says in this scene and, and be experiencing everything that she's experiencing, knowing that she's going to completely forgive Toby for all of this um, really in just a few episodes time. Yeah, it's it's really rough here. Like Spencer is not exhibiting much compassion for Emily's conflict, but it's really not her job to manage Emily's feelings in this moment. Like it's Spencer's job to survive and to ask for support. And that's what she's doing. And Emily is just failing this test in every possible way. Even the, the fact that, you know, like getting angry with Spencer for disrupting Emily's ideas about who Toby is or who Spencer and Toby were as a couple. Like the person to be angry with, to be clear, is Toby, who should be held accountable for his own choices and behavior. And in addition to all of the above, uh, that Emily is, you know, signing on to become my mortal enemy in this scene, the logic of he loves you so he couldn't have hurt you is extremely mm -hmm. toxic and harmful nonsense. Like the presence of love is not the same as the absence 
of harm. And yes, I know that Emily probably learned differently from Allison herself, but that does not make it right, and it does not make it okay. These are all great points. They really are. And and there's also... Um... I feel like this is also just a failing in the in the storytelling of the show in that, as we've talked about before, the Emily-Toby friendship is really only resurrected when it is convenient for the narrative. It hasn't, uh, since season one, it has not felt like it's really rooted in these characters at all. They just kind of bring it up every once in a while to remind us like, oh, hey, Emily and Toby are friends because we need them to be friends for this episode. And so I think that that makes... I mean, Emily's actions would be um, really terrible regardless, but I think that that fact makes it even harder to kind of stomach a lot of her reactions in this episode because it doesn't feel like their friendship is really rooted in anything real other than, um, you know, when it's convenient for the story. Yeah, they've had two scenes together this season, one of which was when he grabbed her arm because he wanted her to tell him what was going on with Spencer, and then the scene where she was pipe-sitting for him. That's that's right. And then wasn't it last season uh, as well when he got kind of another time when he was like, I want Spencer to tell me the truth, and he like, I feel like he, maybe he didn't grab Emily, but he that was maybe when he grabbed Spencer, that was that was around. I think it was in through many dangerous toils and snares when he made Spencer the chair, maybe, and, <laughs> and then wouldn't refused to to not have her take it. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm, what a what a prince! What a prince indeed. Um, over at the brew, some mournful music plays as Emily leaves a message for Toby saying that she needs to talk to him. Uh, she sneaks a helpfully labeled loft key, which is just hanging out in a bucket of keys under the counter at the brew. Um, and obviously it's clear that she's planning on a little, uh, a little light B&E here. Yeah. Oh man. So what do you think of Emily's decision after hearing about how, uh, Tobe was terrorizing Spencer? Uh, what do you think about her? Next move of fucking calling him. Oh, my God. It's it's really, I mean, it's interesting to think about why Emily needs Toby to be innocent here. Like, from the standpoint of, like, what what is it? I mean, I know that, like, Emily is loyal, and that's a huge part of her character. But her... And, and that Emily is in denial and that that's sort of, you know, that's what she's experiencing a lot of in this episode. But what do you think is it, it, they didn't have to do this storyline like this. Like they could have <laughs> had Emily, you know, accept the information and be on Team Spencer. And maybe they just wanted this to sort of uh, provide more tension in this episode. But what what do you think if we're just looking at Emily's character, why do you think she needs Toby to be innocent. Well, later she's going to give an explanation that made me have to like, it made me have to walk away and check that I had taken my blood pressure meds and like pet my cat and have a little walk. Like later she's going to say that it's because he gave her the courage to come out, uh, which is its own, is its own large suitcase that we will unpack when we get there. Um, (laughs) But I think that Emily just sees him as a good guy. And Emily 
Emily is always an optimist, and I think that it is really, like, it's really messing with her worldview to believe that someone who was always good to her could be bad or could be bad to someone else. Like it's the same, it's the same argument that she's going to have with liars 1 million times once Allison is back. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that I feel like um, the show is not really doing this in a very skilled way, but that a lot, you know, when Emily is sort of defending Toby in a lot of this episode, um, you could look at it that Emily is kind of defending Allison in a sense that she's saying, um, Toby has to be redeemable because Allison has to be redeemable. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of in a slightly similar way um, to the way that, you know, the conversation that Hannah and Lucas are constantly having is really a conversation that Hannah is having with Mona uh, on another level. But I think that it's the way, because of the particulars of this situation, it's a lot more enraging. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I could almost I, I could almost understand Emily's hesitation more if her issue was Spencer has accused like every single person they know of being a at some point. Like it would be better if she was like, well, you accused Paige of being a and you were wrong yeah. and you thought like this person was a and you were wrong and you thought like, you know, that would be one thing. But they actually have way more evidence that Toby is on the A-team than they've had against any other suspect to date. Like, he he is very clearly working with Mona. I don't really feel like this is up for, um, that this is up for discussion in the way that Emily seems to feel like it is. It would be kind of interesting. I mean, it would be way more sort of fucked up for Spencer, but it would be kind of interesting if all of the evidence for Toby being A was theoretically, like, somehow in Spencer's mind or, like, something that, like, Spencer could have, um, like, if they really kind of, I again, like, PLL and their track record with portraying mental illness, I don't think they would have done this well. But a more a more skilled show, like, playing with this idea of, like, what is what is real and what is imaginary to the point where, like, Spencer Spencer would be sort of the girl who cried A, but it would also be this thing where it's like, is Spencer just making this up? Is Spencer hallucinating? Like, what's going on with Spencer? Um, kind of the way that they did actually with the Prezra reveal in season four. Um, and then, you know, the reveal that, like, no, Spencer is Spencer is telling the truth. She's just, um, she's been, yeah, she's been wrong so many times before. Or she's just really struggling. Like, I, I feel like there, there are different ways that this reveal could have come down. Yeah, I definitely agree. Emily is just not handling it well today. She is not. She is not. Oh, gosh. Prezra has obviously heard about how he fell a few notches in the most fucked up rankings this week uh, to the point that when Arya walks into his apartment to find fake son Malcolm playing with trains, he immediately accosts her with, guess you didn't get my voicemail, making it her fault that she has walked into this scene with no emotional preparation. He introduces her to Malcolm, a step she goes along with gamely, though one that really should require some discussion in advance. He continues to drop info bombs left and right about Maggie looking for a job in the area now that she's being evicted. Uh, They might all move to Rosewood. 
Malcolm is going to be staying with him for a few days, and wouldn't Arya like to stay and hang out and play some trains with them? Well, this is a train that is doing its best to run her right over, not letting her say no for a second, as Prezra and Fake Son both pressure her, denying any possibility that she has any feelings or needs of her own. The look on her face is a clear cry for help. Again, this setup is a bunch of crap. It is making it Arya's fault if she feels like she's in over her head here, rather than Prezra's responsibility to clearly communicate a vision of what their partnership is going to look like now that he has this new fake son in his life, or allow her to set any boundaries whatsoever. Yeah, it, uh, it's just awful. Like, he offers zero explanation, apology, or reassurance, even when he gets to the explanation about Maggie and Malcolm maybe moving to Rosewood. He also talks to Arya in front of Malcolm as though this child has no ears or is like six months old like he's like maggie knows that you're very in a very important part of my life and malcolm who is like a seven-year-old child like i can understand things is like sitting directly next to him um also there's been a recast for malcolm this is not the same kid that was in maggie's classroom um last last in 3a i guess um this this is a yeah this is a different child a sort of a child that has sort of a young Caleb look about him, I would say. It's the um, shaggy hair. It's the shaggy hair. It is. Um, and uh, yes, Arya, I really sort of enjoy in a kind of a morbid way, the look that Arya gives into the hallway <laughs> as she closes the door <laughs> as if she knows that she is walking to her death here. Yeah, this is, <laughs> everyone is like, all of Arya's scenes this episode, it's like terrible what's happening to her. It's terrible the state that her relationship is in. But the fact that Arya is constantly panic lying or being like shunted into like a, a shape that Prezra has decided she'll be in uh, to care for him and his fake son is, uh, it, it's really something. <laughs> Yeah, this is a very good Lucy Hale episode. She's really, I mean, she gets to play both humor and uh, heartache in this one in a really, really fun way. Yeah, uh, the, the straights are not okay in this episode. <laughs> when are they ever? Um, so Hannah is apparently dealing with her panic by going full queer. She is in a stuffed <laughs> leather jacket, a studded button-up, and some kind of sort of asymmetrical pinned hair situation that is just uh, flat out gay. If Mona could see her now, uh, she is in Toby's loft flipping through channels until she finds um, a news station that is talking about, um, it's talking about the car, right? It's talking about the car that was, is it, is it talking about Wilden's? No, I don't think there's anything on the news about Wilden, but she's, oh, she's checking for it. She's checking it. Okay. There's, there's, they're talking about a a, a car something but it's not I guess it's not the Wilden car thing um, Emily stomps in Emily is at her wits end trying to find clues uh, related to Toby and she's really mean to Hannah here she's like yelling at her about how Hannah isn't doing enough and Hannah needs to get off the couch and why is Hannah suddenly interested in the news I feel like a strong argument could be made that when Emily is pissed her one of her go-to moves is to insult Hannah's intelligence. 
Um, and we see that again later in this episode. And I think we see that at other points in the series as well. And I don't much care for it. Uh, Hannah, Emily's, you know, starts going on about how uh, Toby couldn't be dangerous. He could never have hurt anybody because he never hurt her. They were together. They were alone together so many times. And he's always been just such a prince of a man. Uh, Hannah brings up a very good point about the fact that she was alone with Mona many times and Mona turned out to be a, and, uh, sorry, Emily, but what Hannah had with Mona is so much bigger and <laughs> so much deeper than anything you ever had with Toby. Sorry to break it to you. Emily is in complete denial, um, keeps giving Toby the benefit of the doubt. She collapses into a chair saying that Toby gave her the courage to come out. Um, pretty rude considering that Hannah is sitting right there, Emily. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the idea that one person gives another person the courage to do anything, but I think if anybody gets points for that, it was one Hannah Marin. I mean, she she took that news like a champ. And Maya. And Maya. Yes. <laughs> I would, I mean, I give full credit to Emily. She's the one who did it. Courage comes from within, not from without. Uh, but honorable mentions, I definitely think Hannah and Maya over Toby 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, poor poor Maya, even in death, doesn't get, <laughs> get her due here. Um, Emily randomly picks up this like motorcycle related coffee table book or something that she gave Toby. Um, and she just starts thumbing through it and finds, uh, the E lamb parking pass for Radley. Uh, they talk about how, you know, E lamb was Toby's, um, pseudonym on his Radley badge. Hannah suggests that Emily talk to Toby's parents to which I say, Toby has parents. <laughs> right who we've never seen before right it, you know and and do not see in this episode right right yeah fun uh yes. i love that toby like for months on end didn't have a bathroom but apparently did have a motorcycle coffee table book <laughs> yes this is this is very true this the is life true. the life of the toblerone <laughs> Full of mystery. It's, it is really, I do find it really interesting though. Like, and I don't, I feel like there's a, there's, there'll be a point when we can talk about this maybe more fully, but the way that Toby, like, because Toby, because Toby is really like such a flat character in so many ways, like the way that he, that his presence is felt in all of this is through his absence. Versus a character like Mona, who is so rich and interesting and menacing and complicated, uh, that when we're sort of doing the exploration of Mona as a, Mona is very present. You know, we're having so many scenes with Radley. We're, in Radley, we're having so many um, interactions with different characters. But it's like the way to make Toby interesting is to just remove him. <laughs> that's a great point. And that's actually another sort of Toby is a Rorschach character in a similar way to the way that Allison is a Rorschach character. You don't see them. You just see like the information that other people project onto them. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you really see like Toby. It's, I mean, it's like once you strip away, you know, Emily's version of Toby, what's left, 
No. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, and this is like this is just a an example that like even if even if someone has done one good thing, which in Toby's case is just that he wasn't homophobic, that's a rather <laughs> low bar. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're un- incapable of ever doing anything bad again, ever. Like this is a right. This is a real misconception that she seems to be laboring under, and Emily is exhibiting like such bad she's exhibiting such bad traits here like uh you know previously she was kind of doing the um uh you know she was kind of doing the response to like Kavanaugh accusers for example of well I'm sure that Spencer thinks that this happened to her you know right right yeah I was talking about the Supreme Court justice but yes but that's oh how fitting um how fitting that is uh but yeah like that I'm sure she thinks that Spencer thinks that this happened to her but she's probably mistaken about who it actually was um, you know, get get that lady a Senate seat in Maine. Uh, but also uh, here she's doing the like, well, you know, Spencer thinks that he tried to kill her, but she didn't see him do it. So now she's playing the I'm going to require like greater levels of ridiculous proof before I will, you know, condescend to believe this. Um, and by the by the end of this episode, she's really... Oh, man. Um. Well, well, and also, I mean, I think it's really we've talked a little bit in the past about Emily's uh, internalized homophobia and maybe some sort of unresolved issues around her her parents own homophobia when she first came out. And I I sort of think that that this is like some of this reaction is like another symptom of that, that, you know, Toby was not homophobic when she came out and therefore like she just puts him on this incredibly high pedestal um, because maybe in some ways simply the absence of homophobia feels like more than she can ever even imagine deserving. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, mm, Well. Over at Presra's where an entire train set has been set up and a conductor's hat found, and a wooden <laughs> train whistle is being blown, Maggie returns. Presra immediately removes himself from a potentially awkward situation, letting Arya navigate it all on her own. Arya wants Maggie to know she didn't spill the beans. Maggie does not seem to believe her, but also does not care. Because Presra is so good at being a fake dad to his fake son, she wishes that she had told him ages ago. When Presra returns, Maggie has a meeting about a possible job at 4 p.m. Presra has to tutor then and immediately suggests that Maggie move her obligation. Oh, um, Aria uh, offers to babysit because that's what's so great about having a teenage girlfriend. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. The way that he just throws her to the wolves here is just, I mean, just when you think he can't stoop lower, he does. You know, he he and and the way that he like he always does it in this way where it somehow makes it seem like it's a favor to them where it's like, I'm going to let you two have a minute alone by leaving my teenage girlfriend with 
you know, my, my, my baby mama that it's probably like really mad at my teenage girlfriend for reasons that have everything to do with my family. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And his excuse is like, let's go, like, let's go wash up before we eat. This kid is seven. I feel like you can send a seven-year-old to wash their hands by themselves. Like, or you can wash your hands in the kitchen where everyone is. But, you know, no. Prezra Prezra is going to, like, make for himself the, you know, like, he's not going to put himself out of joint for, like, even one second on behalf of this situation. Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, So Spencer is woken up from a depression nap on the couch by some knocking. Uh, She goes to the door and sees an ornate Deepest Sympathies floral arrangement is at her door with a card for Spencer. Um, She takes it inside and looks at the card, which says that someone close to her will pay for her loose lips. And it is, of course, from A. Um, now this is like clearly all from Mona, although we're kind of supposed to think it's from Toby, but I like the idea that Mona is just sort of trying to punch up Toby's A schemes and make him seem more clever and more menacing than he actually is. I totally agree. And I also think that it is uh, not a coincidence that Mona has sent Spencer an elaborate floral arrangement as we have been tracking the progression (laughs) of the sexual tension between them. Well, I mean, yes, the next scene, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. At the brew, uh, Spencer is warning the others about the wreath situation. Hannah presses Emily that she needs to stop looking for Toby. Spencer does not like the news that Emily has been looking for Toby at all and tells her that she looked for him for weeks. What about that private investigator that she had following him? This he's missing feels like new business in my opinion uh emily declares that toby is her friend too and she wants to hear it from him what does she want to hear from him that he was a she's like i'm so mad that i didn't get to catch you in my kitchen in a black hoodie like what what is this nonsense girl uh then the dulcet tones of mona vanderwall paying at the register drift back to the liars and Spencer takes her loose lips right up to confront Mona immediately. She thanks her for the flowers. The orchids are beautiful. Mona denies having ever sent her flowers or knowing in any way what she is talking about. Spencer threatens her vaguely, but with a lot of intense eye contact as to what will happen if Mona touches a hair on her friend's heads. Mona waltzes off but not before issuing a vague but intense threat of her own regarding orchids not lasting the night as she casts a withering glance over at Emily. I can't believe you didn't mention Mona's opening line to Spencer here. You're not planning on choking me again, are you? (laughs) Because Mona clearly has been thinking about that and would very much like uh, for Spencer to be planning on choking her again. Yeah, I mean, Mona would definitely like to have Spencer's hands upon her person um, in, in any way that that is going to happen. I, I do agree. And what a glaring omission. You are right. 
it's 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 okay you are you are forgiven uh, <laughs> i feel like you know hannah or uh, moda is like staring past hannah it's interesting the way this scene is filmed because it's like spencer is here is spencer is in front and then hannah's behind her and then emily's behind her and so uh mona kind of has to like stare past hannah to get to emily and i'm kind of amazed with hannah in that outfit that mona was able to like keep her gaze going and uh and didn't just fixate on that um that 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 took some real self-discipline there mona well yeah and hannah in her queer outfit is running after her beloved spencer who is running over to like basically toss a drink on her ex-girlfriend mona so uh, hannah uh hannah is in a, a very queer triangle here she most certainly is she most certainly is um so aria is at her house looking over a box of toys that I guess she's planning on bringing over to her babysitting gig when Ella walks in. Aria is very surprised and ill-prepared for her mother to be here and spins some terrible lies about how Emily, no, Hannah, is doing some babysitting <laughs> and, and Aria is uh, Aria got some toys together to give to her. We learn that Prezra has reached out to Ella about getting Maggie a job without checking with Arya first. This man is such garbage. Oh, my God. <laughs> like every scene, we have another drop in the bucket of his garbage personality. And by the end of the, this episode, that bucket is simply overflowing. Um, Aria has her wide, manic, lying eyes, and clearly something is wrong, but Ella, as always, doesn't really press as much as she should, just kind of regards her daughter as Aria vibrates her way out of the room. Yeah, also, Aria leaves with a bat and, a, like, a plastic bat and a baseball. Is this a relic from her tomboy past as referenced in Shadow Play? <laughs> That's a good question. It probably didn't belong to Mike because he doesn't seem to exist these days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, there's literally no reason for any of this other than that Arya lies by instinct and doesn't want her mom to ask any questions about Arya's actual feelings. Right, because, I mean, it's one of those things where Arya could even just say that she's, like, randomly got a <laughs> fitting job. There's not a, there's not a reason for her babysitting to be a secret. But it's just, it's, it's, that's, that's what comes naturally for her. That's so Aria. It is. Oh, man. What a rough time she is having in this episode. Uh, elsewhere, Emily is flipping through the mail left in the box at Toby's family home when a dude pulls up in the Toby Mobile truck. When questioned, he doesn't know anything about where Toby is. He heard he had an emergency and asked this extra to finish up a job for him. Also, he left him his truck, and random man is just here to pick up a table saw. He has no idea where Tobey is and has not seen him in weeks. Yeah, this this dude, I mean, he'll show up again at the end of this episode. I feel like there was a a better way to do all of this. Like we didn't really need this random dude. Who's like kind of creepy and sketchy and like knows Emily's name by the end of the episode. Um, do you think that they had like other plans for this guy? Or do you think that they just like, what do you, what do you think the deal is with this guy? I really don't know. It, he almost feels like someone who 
should have been uh, like they they should have done something different. Like it should have turned out that this guy is Eddie Lamb. That would be yeah. one thing that I think they could have done. Or they should have had this guy be someone else that we've crossed paths with, like Logan Reed or like one of the other, like, you know, one of the other mini A's who's been running around or someone that they've suspected of involvement before. It would have been funny if like this was Miles Corwin and he had gotten like, he like went like deep cover to like <laughs> Toby and, and try to try to stay on his trail. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah. So I, I think that uh, I think that they could have done more with this guy. I when I was watching this, I was like, does this guy have like a bigger part that I'm not remembering? But I don't think he does. I think this episode is the only one we see him in. Is that yeah. true? I believe so. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I agree that making him Eddie Lamb would have been an interesting choice. Uh, maybe it's Eddie Lamb in a coconut mask. We don't know. Um <laughs> So Spencer is staring daggers at the floral arrangement when something catches her eye on the ribbon that says deepest sympathies, an E and an M are in matte, are in like a matte print, whereas the rest are M are sparkly. And she like freaks out like she's had an epiphany and grabs her keys and runs out. Mm. Um, Ashley is walking down the street talking on the phone with Hannah. There's nothing in the papers either. She does not know what to think. She hangs up and thinks that she sees Wilden in a doorway across the way. Uh, she almost gets hit by a car while staring at him. Is this Sarah Harvey in the <laughs> coconut oil mask? <laughs> Probably. I mean, I forget in the grand timeline of things, Wilden is not actually, Wilden does not necessarily have to actually be dead at this point, right? You know, I am really not sure about that. I think that we later find out that Wilden died the last, like he died the night that Ashley ran him over. Um, but I don't, we'll have to watch and see if, if that's really confirmed. I have found a lot of blank spaces in my memory of these season three episodes. So it's exciting to rewatch them because I don't totally, like I, I'm often surprised by what exactly is happening. Hmm, it's kind of fun. It's like rewatching it for the yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Um, so Spencer is showing the ribbon to Emily, which she is interpreting as evidence that A is targeting Emily, aka M. Next, Emily is extremely dismissive, saying that Spencer's had a really rough time, and you know she's probably just thinking too hard about this. And shouldn't Emily just take the ribbon away from her and, you know, Spencer can just go home and, you know, put herself to bed. Spencer is, of course, very concerned. She would like to stay with Emily for the rest of the day. You know, they really should stay together all of the day, maybe in the locker room when Emily's making out with Paige later, when Emily's in the shower, when Emily's in bed, you know, like just to be safe. Um, Emily says that she has to go to swim practice. She is not worried, but she promises to keep an eye out. She takes the ribbon from Spencer and Spencer makes her promise to stop looking for Toby. A promise that, of course, Emily has no intention of keeping. Ugh, Emily. Um, Spencer, despite Emily being a jerk to her this whole episode, Spencer is like really genuinely worried. And yeah. Emily has absolutely no time or space for that. No, Emily has already made up her mind about this whole situation and and she's already slotted Spencer into the into the space of like crazy. 
And she just is not like nothing Spencer can say right now is going to convince her otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Over at Arya's, uh, you know, fake son uh, situation. Uh, Malcolm is proving in this moment easy to babysit. He has headphones on. He's playing a handheld video game while Arya and Hannah talk about what will it mean if Maggie moves here. Uh, Arya goes with the patented, we'll work it out, that glosses over all the ways that her relationship is always terrible. So this version of terrible is really not that different. Uh, They discuss whether Toby was in on it with Mona the whole time. Uh, And then they bring up a really interesting point of how did he find Dr. Sullivan after Mona ran her out of town? And how did he happen to bring her back the night that Mona was caught? Could it be that her return was planned? Uh, She diagnosed Mona with a mental health issue that ensured Mona went to Radley instead of to jail. Uh, Hannah then spooks at the sound of a siren uh, and police radio. Looking out the window, uh, she sees what looks like it could be Wilden's car. It's like an unmarked police cruiser. She leaves abruptly, claiming she is late to meet her mom. It's interesting that this idea of um, Dr. Sullivan maybe somehow being in on it and or having like diagnosed Mona with this um, mental health disorder that kept her out of jail, like... This is an I feel like this episode and there's another one that I want to talk about later has a lot of ideas that are like potential fan theories that don't really get teased out at all. Like, I don't think they ever come back to this idea again, um, which is weird because it feels like a really major thought. Um, It's also like, again, you know, the whole like just PLL's relationship with mental health is so very troubling and uh, the idea that Mona getting diagnosed with something is like a je- get out of jail free card is hugely problematic. Um, and also, I don't think that we ever really get more clarification on Toby's connection with Dr. Sullivan. Um, I know that one one theory that I liked for a while was the idea that he might actually be her son. Um, also, Arya's version of babysitting, LOL. Aria, don't don't strain yourself too much trying to engage with this little kid. Well, also, um, we know that Prezra had to uh, he had to tutor at like four o'clock, which was when Maggie had her her appointment about this job. Uh, and Aria says that he's been on the handheld game for like at least an hour, and then she's going to be like caring for him for some time. Like there there's a long period of error so how long is this babysitting gig like how long are maggie and prezra just both like flitting around leaving her to just watch the kid also i'm not sure if like hannah coming over so they could talk mystery was really like part of the gig you know right well yeah hannah's coming over and then later she's gonna be on the phone with spencer there's yeah she um she maybe should not have offered to babysit this is a thought that i have Yes, I agree. Well, it's clear how much she, like, really is not interested in, you know, connecting with Malcolm here. Yeah. Um, 
So over at the police station, Emily is, I guess, asking Pam to file a missing persons report for Toby. But Pam points out that that would be the job of Toby's parents, who apparently don't exist. (laughs) Uh, Pam helpfully points out that Toby is, in fact, the worst, that she's never trusted him. And she really thinks that Emily needs to let this go, um, despite Emily's big forgiving heart that always wants to see the best in people. Uh, I guess that that big forgiving heart doesn't really extend to Spencer this week. Um, And uh, Emily, who is a teen with a phone, requests the option to use her mom's (laughs) computer to check her email. And Pam somehow does not find this suspicious. And also later we'll see this computer. And this is like this is like a this is like an early 90s situation so the idea that emily would would need this this particular setup to check her email is a pretty humorous yeah pam should not be on the police force if she (laughs) buys that this is like just checking her email uh also it's a ruse that emily can commit her second cyber crime in as many weeks and let's also note that emily is not abiding by the spirit or the letter of her promise to spencer and that she was totally lying and is not at swim practice. These are all true things. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Oh, man. Emily is not being a good friend. My notes for the next scene open with, oh, fuck, I just remembered what's going to happen in this (laughs) next scene. Malcolm is jumping like a wild thing on Prezra's bed. (laughs) Aria is on the phone leaving a message for Spencer while also like making a complex operation about getting juice boxes together which she's like narrating to the kid who instead of talking about juice boxes to him she should be telling him not to be jumping on the bed but whatever she's planning a park outing how exciting Uh, naturally while she is distracted Malcolm falls off the bed with a thud and injures himself yeah, I mean, part of this whole playdate, or this whole uh, playdate, huh? Part of this babysitting gig now includes Arya taking him to the park. So, like, how long? I mean, she made him lunch. She's taking him to the park. He was playing that thing for an hour. Being <laughs> there, like, all day long? Um, yeah, probably. Uh, Presra is certainly not going to be responsible for watching his own child by himself. Oh. Uh, but also, I feel like, and, you know... You probably have, like, more information about how this gig should go down than I do, but I think you should take the kid to the park first, because then the kid will get tired out, and maybe they will fall asleep. Yes, agreed. Well, also, yeah, get get the energy out before you have lunch. That That's a good, that's a good call. <laughs> also, presumably, this, presumably this child, um, or this gig ends early, because uh, because of the injury. So, like, theoretically, Arya could have been... I mean, Arya would just be this kid's mom now. Maybe Maggie uh, and Preza are planning on cutting and running. In addition to the shaggy haircut, he also has the commonality with Caleb of completely abandoned by his parents. <laughs> That's true. Yes, Maggie is halfway to Australia by now. Um yeah, this is this is uh this is this is not this is not good. And yes, letting the kid play video games for like the first hour of this uh of this this uh babysitting gig is not uh not so cool, Arya, I think, unless this has been like very specifically sanctioned by the parents. Well also, um I was thinking when he was jumping wildly on the bed 
Uh, and it was clear that like, it was clear that accident or injury, there was like, uh, it was kind of like a, a Final Destination movie or something with him jumping out of the bed. Uh, and me feeling like, wow, Arya should really maybe be saying something. Uh, Arya and Ella would both be such terrible babysitters because they're so conflict averse. Like, even if it's just conflict with like a small child that you're supposed to be in charge of, that's probably what happened. Arya didn't want to tell him to stop jumping on the bed. So she decided, let's go to the park. <laughs> like, that's, that was like her, that was her method of discipline. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yes, we will simply go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere where there's not a bed for you to jump on, <laughs> rather than me give you any feedback on whether or not you should be jumping on the bed. Oh, my God. Um, so Emily is on her mom's computer, uh, and she her mom's, like, dial-up computer here. She types in Elam. And uh, the Rosewood PD has apparently ancient technology because the photo takes forever to load and starts to load from the bottom. <laughs> like the sequence of this is bizarre because um, Pam comes back over. Uh, Emily like clicks away. Pam walks away. Emily clicks back. Then the photo starts to load again, but she gets a text from Toby saying to stop looking. He will meet with her. And so she doesn't seem to wait to like see what the picture actually is. Uh, she just is like, oh, okay, on to the next thing now. Yeah, I don't know why they did it this way. I, I felt like they should have had her, like, try to print it out or, like, fax it or something. Because, like, yeah. that's that's the effect that we get of how it's just, like, loading from the bottom. But, yeah. I mean, it's, an, it's inexplicable. This computer is from, like, 1985. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, so at the brew, uh, Mona gets a call on her cell phone. Uh, she has all of it. She'll meet them right now. Spencer is spying on her. And this is like some really good spying on Spencer's part. She's like lurking on a stairway behind Mona. And she's like, she's like kind of like crouching down like an animal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very good. Uh, good quality stalking on her part. And then Spencer follows her quarry at a distance as Mona leaves. So this whole business with the money, I mean, I guess maybe we could say she, she's going to pay the like, you know, actor or whatever that's going to pretend to be Toby. Um, but it also definitely feels like this is all just a complete setup b to get Spencer to follow her. I believe that it is a setup to make Spencer follow her. Which is, of course, Mona's dream. I mean, Spencer <laughs> following her now. Oh, my God. Yeah, Mona is, uh, she's having a good time. She definitely is. She definitely is. Um, a doctor who is shockingly not Ren, Ren Kingston is uh, treating Malcolm's chin wound. Prezra, of course, has to make a gendered comment about boys getting hurt before interrogating Arya about the circumstances of how Malcolm did get hurt. Uh, he insists that he isn't mad, but is like super passive aggressive in this scene and then has to make Maggie the villain of this whole piece by saying he's just trying to get their story straight so that they'll know what to say to Maggie. They lightly bond over their ineptitude with children. Um, Aria clearly feels really bad and uh, really not just bad that this happened to Malcolm, but bad that she is in this situation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Prezra has no compassion for her at all. Uh, yeah. or And he, he feels no responsibility for having just, like, dumped this on her. No. Um, 
without any preparation or anything like that. Uh, also, it really shows his privilege as just a rich fucking white guy. This kid has like a small scrape on his chin and has been rushed to the hospital to have like medical professionals wipe it off and put some gauze on it. Like that really, uh, that that really seems like in in a world, well, <laughs> in a world that is the world we live in, it's pretty questionable. Well, and also that there's not any talk of like you know. CPS being called I mean not that anybody would for this chin scrape but that like you know there's no um there's no question about people yeah treating this kid poorly or anything mm-hmm. um but yeah and it's, it also should be obvious to any medical professionals that like Prezra Prezra may be like technically the father but he is not Malcolm's dad in any real way mm-hmm mm-hmm Oh, so Spencer is in her car watching Mona get out of her vehicle and walk into some creepy woods. Spencer runs after her, intent on following. Yes. Yeah, it's suddenly black of night. Like, it is It is very, 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 very dark all of a sudden. Um, Hannah returns home and calls her mom. Uh, she doesn't know where Ashley is, and she suddenly hears a car honking, and we go to the, I don't think we've ever seen before, Marin Garage, and see Wilden's police cruiser is here. In their garage, sirens going off, and the video of Ashley and Wilden playing, Hannah watches in horror um, as the video plays, and she sees her mom running Wilden down, Wilden bouncing off the hood of the car, much like Hannah bounced off the hood of the car um, seasons or seasons ago, years ago, months ago, weeks ago, some time ago. Um, man, the Marin ladies and car accident. Yeah, it does not look good for Ashley in this video. And yeah, I don't think that we have ever seen the Marin garage before, and I don't think we're ever going to see it again. No. No, I don't think so. It's like Brigadoon. It only appears like <laughs> once every hundred years when there's an incriminating police cruiser parked inside of it. Exactly. Well, it's, or it's like the Hastings barn. It's like, <laughs> alluded to, but not seen for seasons. And then suddenly is like the, you know, a, a huge fixture post time jump. Maybe they're like the same thing. Maybe it's like a room of requirement that just like appears oh, sure. as like an additional structure on any of the liars houses as needed. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's Mike Montgomery's room when Mike Montgomery fits <laughs> the character. I like this theory. I like this theory a lot. As do uh, I. <laughs> um, Emily, who is now playing the role of a science denier refusing to wear a mask and determined to hasten her own death despite clear warnings has arrived to a dark alley alone to meet Tobey. And using her haunted GPS that almost got her killed last time. (laughs) Emily, my God, this is so clearly a setup. And she like confirms on her phone and the message actually says like, come alone, 7 p.m. Like, Emily Fields, my God, girl. Yeah, she is just... um... Yeah, she is just walking around like she has never heard of bury your gaze. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Prezra and Arya are doing a pretty terrible job of comforting Malcolm when Maggie walks in. Um, Maggie goes straight for Malcolm and doesn't, I mean, she doesn't like yell at Arya or anything. She's just very focused on Malcolm. 
Um, Aria is asked by a nurse if she is immediate family. And when she has to say no, she is literally separated by a curtain with the perfect little family on one side and Arya on another. And my God, I hate this storyline. <laughs> yeah, that's like a real, I, I wish that someone could actually like pull a curtain around the storyline so that we didn't have to keep going back to it. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's a little on the nose. Yes, indeed it is. Ooh, in the woods uh spencer is following mona at a run she comes upon the remains of what looks like a campsite and then the remains of what looks like tobey uh it is a body wearing a motorcycle helmet but where the shirt has ridden up we see tobey's 901 free at last tattoo uh spencer starts crying cradles his body uh she's about to take off the helmet when Mona calls out, he's dead, uh, Spencer flies into a rage and begins chasing Mona through the woods. She does not catch her, and arriving back at the road, breaks down into choking sobs on her knees. We also get a spinning camera uh, that spins all around Spencer as the world just tilts off its access for her. And uh, this is a spinning camera party of one. Yeah, this is a this is another moment that I've always felt like the pacing or something is just like a little a little funky here. Like it's this is obviously going to kick Spencer into the next phase of her downward spiral. Um but like you know Mona Mona is like just off to the side being like he's dead like what you know if spencer if mona hadn't timed that just perfectly and granted it's mona like and spencer had gotten the helmet off would mona have been like just kidding like (laughs) (laughs) you've been punked spencer like it's just it's it's um i don't know how do you how do you feel about this this scene and this like toby is dead the first moment of toby is dead well I agree with you that there's something about it that doesn't quite land, and it's definitely connected to Spencer not taking off the helmet to see his face. Um, and it's also, it feels very similar to the reveal that Melissa buried the body without checking for a pulse. Like, <laughs> I would definitely think that even if Spencer couldn't get the helmet off, that she would check to see if this was a dead body or a live person pretending to be Toby. Um <laughs> But other than that, I, I mean, I, I'm willing to give them that Spencer's rage in this moment would be greater than her grief uh, and that she would want to chase Mona instead of <clears throat> instead of staying with the body. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I also feel like um, she has been like not wanting to find him. And so finding him like this, like, I think it would have been, I I think it would have been more poignant if Spencer had been like, actually, if we'd seen her trying to find him, not just Emily trying to find him. um, I think that that probably would have worked a little bit better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, yeah, I just, something about it just doesn't, doesn't quite track and then the way that it kind of connects with what Emily is up to in this episode it's just a little a little a little out there um 
I'd like to point out that not only did Melissa not check a pulse, she also did not check a face because she buried <laughs> a different person than she thought. As Spencer does not, yeah, as Spencer does not check for a pulse or a face. Like I, I don't know. These Hastings really need to like, uh, they they really need to have like a review over dead body protocol. Apparently so. Apparently so. So Aria and Ella are talking. It's clear that Aria has just told Ella her version of everything relating to Prezra and the fake son. Ella says that she is not mad, but she is sad uh, because she doesn't know how to help Aria. She is still, you know, relatively positive about the Prezria relationship. Uh, but she does say one good thing when Arya expresses that Prezra thinks that they can still make it work. Ella shares that it's okay if Arya doesn't want to make it work. Uh, Arya cries. Lucy Hale is really, really good in this scene. And then Ella shares some advice that I think all the liars uh, need to hear, especially post-jump. Ella says that not every relationship is meant to last forever. Um, now, we've talked a lot about, like, Ella never setting boundaries with Arya, Ella um, never setting boundaries with anybody and avoiding conflict at all costs. And I'm definitely not going to let Ella off the hook here because she is being much more friend than mom in this scene. But I do think that Ella recognizes that Arya is not really going to change her mind about anything unless she believes that the uh, idea came from her first. And I do think that she's planting a seed here that will take root by the end of the episode. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that Arya, like, Arya needs to hear someone say this. Like, Arya is, like, Prezra has backed into her into a corner where she is not able to express any of the emotions that she's having. So she's told her mom so that her mom can kind of be this, like, channel of that for her. But also, vis-a-vis Ella saying not all relationships are meant to last forever, tell that to the writer's room, Ella! Exactly, exactly. And I think that Ella knows Arya if Ella was just like, well, you can't see him anymore. Arya would just double down and be like, well, I, but I'm going to run away and be with him and we're going to raise his kid together and it's going to be great, you know? Um, So, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Really, there's probably, like, there's probably a discarded draft somewhere where, like, uh, Arya, like, accidentally murders Maggie, and then she and the, she and Prezra are, like, on the run with this, you know, fake kid uh, trying to cover up their malfeasance for, a, like, a life insurance scheme. Probably. Probably something like that. Oh, over in Murder Alley, where Emily has been waiting patiently for over two hours and 20 minutes, uh, she's just about to leave when she catches sight of Redcoat going into a nearby industrial warehouse. This is totally hilarious because even Redcoat is like, well, we said seven. It's like (laughs) 915. Surely a police is still in her car waiting. But she is. Um, Anyway, uh, Emily follows Redcoat. Uh, inside of this nearby industrial warehouse uh, where she finds the dude who was driving Tobey's truck earlier. This gigantic space is his workshop. The economy of Rosewood, ladies and gentlemen. What does he do? Is he also a teen carpenter slash architect who just happens to have this huge 
vast cathedral-like warehouse space, though he produces no goods and doesn't have his own truck or table saw. This is all very suspicious, but he also says that he uh, has not seen any blondes in red coats go by. He again has not seen Tobey. And then he tells her uh, that unicorns don't exist either, Emily, which is the point at which she knows something is amiss because she never told him her name. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is like the one moment of Emily trying to be like, they're, they're trying to make like Emily savvy in this episode as Emily is like, wait a second. I didn't tell you my name. Um, I, I don't, I don't get really the point of this guy or him knowing Emily's name or any of that. This guy never comes back. He's not on the A team. Like the Tobey thing. I feel like they're playing it. Like this is like some conspiracy theory or something where it's like, Tobey never was a teen architect. Like all the teen <laughs> architects are actually just red coats in disguise. Um, but like it, it doesn't it doesn't come to anything like it doesn't you know or or like that that was Tobey in drag in the, I have the, in the blonde note. wig and the red I have, coat I have Tobey in drag question mark in my notes <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah I don't really like I just feel like so much of this like <laughs> Tobey is a going into Tobey is dead thing like could have been tightened up so much and it would have been more effective i i really like that though i like the idea that this industrial warehouse space like if emily had like gone through another door it would have been like the workroom of rupaul's drag race (laughs) toby would have been like back there with like a line of red coats that would have been good yeah yeah working on his like opening line to you know Mm -hmm. stand up pose yeah i like that too um so hannah who was under strict strict instruction not to tell any of her friends has let Arya in on what happened uh, with her mom and Wilden after unsuccessfully trying to destroy the tape. Um, Arya is playing this pretty cool, and she gets uh, she and Hannah some waters. They discuss whether this is an A maneuver. Is Wilden dead, and does A have the body? Uh, this is the second thing that I flagged as like a weird potential storyline that isn't uh, really followed up on. This idea that. Um, maybe Wilden's body is actually the body that Spencer found in the woods and that A, like, tattooed him or something. Like, I feel like that's, this is, like, a potential hint of that, that I don't think that's ever floated as a theory after this episode. Uh, no, I don't think it is, but Arya is, like, uh, she needs to play the slot machines because all of her guesses are coming up three cherries this week. Like, she has that great theory about Tobey was working with Mona all along, maybe Dr. Sullivan... Uh, was a co-conspirator. She has this theory about what could be going on with Wilden and his body and is he dead? Uh, And then later she's going to have, she's going to have another theory that is actually uh, correct as we move forward. So Arya is like, she's very on point with the mystery stuff, but just like everyone is so scattered that no one is really listening to her. And she's yeah. Arya, so she's like a bird. Like, she's going to see something shiny and then never remember that she, like, posited any of these guesses. It's so true. It's so true. Um, so if it's A, Arya thinks that Ashley should know. Uh, Hannah points out that their moms are different, which is true. Ashley actually does things versus Ella, who, you know, just learned about Arya's boyfriend's child and was like, Go, go for it, Arya. See what happens. Roll the dice. Um, 
Hannah has a plan and uh, tells Arya to get in her car. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, Back over in Murderville, Emily returns to her car to find the window has been busted out and a package has been left on the seat with her name on it. Inside is a small coffin with a note that declares Tobe is no more. Uh, Also, there is a mock-up of a funeral program with his picture on the front. In loving memory, Emily looks upset. (laughs) And the music gets very dramatic. Um, Also, it's so funny because we know that A can hack Emily's car. A will hack Emily's car a lot um, to roll down the windows. But A just decided to be more of a, a, a little stinker and smash the window in. Yeah, we know that Mona actually has a set of keys to Emily's car True. that she's going to use later. So, yeah, it's just like, I feel like it's just like the violence of the broken window here. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, lots of broken windows for Emily. Remember when A drives a car into her house? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes on. Plus, um, isn't there like an explosion or something at Jenna's that also blows out the windows of Emily's house at one point? I think so, because I think that Pam has that line where she's like, we got a two-for-one special on, on having the windows done twice in a year. <laughs> Which is, I think, a conversation that happens during Hannah knows what Hannah means. I think you're right. Um, so Arya and Hannah are trying to push the police cruiser into what looks to be a rather shallow lake. Um, Arya thinks that they should try something different. Hannah just keeps pushing, and once the police car's in, she's like, well, too late for something different now. Um, She gets this kind of vaguely satisfied expression on her face that quickly slips into an, oh, shit, what have I done look. I love this scene. I think, I mean, Ari is obviously just there to be Hannah's ride back into town because Ari's puny little body trying to push a car uh, seems like, I mean, I'm not saying that Arya is not strong, but it just seems like it would not be a great deal of physical help with this particular plan. Um, also, the fact that there is, like, not much water in this lake, and we get several hilarious shots of the car not sinking, <laughs> while they just, like, sit, stand there, and they're like, it's gonna sink. It'll sink soon. It's gonna sink. And then it like sinks, but the flasher goes off, so it's yeah. still like super visible. But also like I don't know what Hannah thinks this lake is like. Like if there's like a big ledge that it's gonna like go down to a deep <laughs> bottom. Like it seems like when it's not dark, that car is still going to be fairly visible. I'm with her on the hope that like the water and like the lake creatures would like destroy some evidence that might be in the car, but Overall, this does not seem like a permanent method of disposal. Oh, I totally agree. And yeah, so the scene picks up with them debating whether or not the car will sink. And Arya, like, I love the dynamic of the two of them because Arya is just like pointing out all the ways in which this is going to go wrong. And Hannah just has like one word answers to everything. She's like, yep, yep, looks that way. Yep. (laughs) And it's like, oh, Hannah, this scene is so ridiculous, but in a pretty fun way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, it's like a very that's so Marin plan. Like this is like the yeah. equivalent of like bury the gun in the yard with your solo cup. Like you know, this is this is how Hannah deals with life's adversity. Sometimes this is how she destroys evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, back in the Marin kitchen, uh, Ashley wonders where Hannah was. Uh, she's been calling her for over an hour. Hannah says that she had to help Aria with something. LOL! Uh, Ashley offers her some Chinese takeout and then engages in some magical thinking. Uh, she went past the accident site and the car was gone. She thinks that she saw Wilden that afternoon. Maybe she didn't hit him that hard and he got up and realized <laughs> the error of his ways. Uh, Hannah, meanwhile, as her mom spins this tale, uh, the center part of which is that the car was gone and that's probably good news. Uh, Hannah is making an increasingly yikes face the more that Ashley talks. Yeah, this is just so sort of hilarious, the way that Ashley's like, maybe I didn't hit him as hard as I thought. Maybe he woke up and realized that he was wrong. Maybe this whole thing is going to go away as she's sitting here amongst all the Chinese food. Um, And yeah, and Hannah's just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Like, yeah, this is this, it's really, really funny. Um, what were we going to say? No, just that, uh, just that, like, Hannah clearly recognizes that, like, Ashley is at the denial point of, of this situation. Like, Ashley is, like, a hair's breadth away from saying, like, well, maybe he realized the error of his ways and has left town forever and is now going to become a monk. <laughs> like, that's what, <laughs> that's what she's hoping for here. Yeah, it's interesting. There are so many characters um, in denial in this episode, and particularly in denial about what a, an absent character is or is not doing. You know, um, the way that Wilden is like, he's not here, and so they can just extrapolate all sorts of uh, situations and motives onto where he might be, much like Toby. Right. Uh, Prezra is lying on his bed, just so damn pleased with himself as he talks on the phone to Arya and Malcolm and Maggie build Legos on the floor. He chuckles about how it's almost like the accident didn't happen. Um, tell that to Malcolm's chin and Arya's guilt, man-child. Um, he invites Arya to come over and build a castle with them. Uh, Arya, thankfully, doesn't come over and lies once again, this time about having to help her mom paint um, and then she kind of sadly looks at a picture of um, of the two of them together, clearly contemplating perhaps the end of this relationship. Well, this is another situation where it's just like their communication is so broken. Like Prezra is talking to her on the phone while Maggie and Malcolm are right there in his apartment. Like right. he hasn't even bothered to like call her in like a private moment where he is not actively with them, number one. they He he didn't find it important to spend any kind of, like, one-on-one -on -one time with her to, like, check in and see how any of this is going. And she doesn't even feel comfortable enough with him to just say that, no, she doesn't want to come over. She has to, like, make up a lie and give him, like, uh, oh, no, I'm doing this other thing. Because if she just says that she doesn't really want to, she knows that he's going to try to twist her arm to do it. Right. Well, and it's become this thing where, again, because of their broken communication and and everything like for Aria, for Aria to say, I feel uncomfortable with this situation or even just I need to adjust a little bit to this situation. This our relationship just got a lot more complicated than I bargained for. Ezra would interpret that as her saying, I hate your son, you know, a hundred percent. 
Yeah. And, and Arya knows that is the thing. I mean, that's, I think that's a big part of why she's feeling like she has to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, woof. Okay. So a park ranger is calling in a Jane Doe found by a hiker, a traumatized female, alone, confused, wandering in the woods, no cell phone, no keys, no ID, no shoes, no hair product. It is Spencer looking bloody and wrecked. She is being bundled into the Jeep by the park ranger. Uh, She's like mumbling nonsense to herself. And the park ranger radios for a psych eval. Yeah, Spencer looks like she's been out here for weeks. Yeah, she looks like it looks like Troy is auditioning for like Nell. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Um, so in Emily's room, Arya and Hannah are filling Emily, uh, in on the whole, on this whole situation. Uh, Emily responds, oh, the whole situation with the car. You're supposed to stop her from doing stupid things like this, not help. Arya replies, I tried. To which I say two things. Try, you didn't try very hard, Arya. And also rude, Emily. Like, Hannah is right there. You don't need to, you don't need to go there. Um, they wonder if Wilden is on the A-team. Emily, uh, then they, they swivel to talk about um, the whole Toby thing. Uh, they look at the uh, Toby might be dead brochure. Emily wonders if this is all her fault. Um, and uh, Aria suggests that maybe Toby wants them to think that he's dead, which ding, 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 Aria, you might be onto something. Um, it was in this scene that I really, uh, it really became clear that in Spencer's absence, Emily has become the de facto leader. Even the way that they're positioned in this scene, it's like, um, you know, Emily is sitting on her desk and Arya and Hannah are like reporting to her. You know, they're standing up. We're in Emily's bedroom. Uh, and, and I just thought maybe we could take a minute and talk about Emily as leader in the absence of Spencer. Hmm. Well, I think it's interesting. I feel like uh, we've talked a lot about, like, why does Emily become the de facto leader instead of, for example, Hannah uh, yeah. or Arya, who has some really good ideas in this episode. In this scene, she's suggesting what if Toby or the A-team is faking Toby's death, which, again, great guess. That is correct. You are right on the money there, Arya. Um, and I think that really, like, watching watching what's happening on the show right now I think the thing that Emily has that the others don't have is a singular focus on the mystery because Hannah is really distracted with the Ashley situation and Aria is really distracted with the fake son situation. So that leaves Emily in Spencer's absence to continue investigating what's happening with the A-team. That's a good point. And I think at this point of the story as well, Emily is the only one sort of willing to prioritize the mystery the way that Spencer usually does. Yeah, and Hannah, uh, in addition to having the Ashley situation, uh, she's also had uh, a lot of drama with Caleb's family stuff recently. Yes. Uh, and Aria is obviously in a constant state of boyfriend drama. So I think that Emily, just by virtue of Paige only showing up every like four or five episodes uh emily is in a place where her relationship is not taking up as much space uh and so she she just can devote uh more of her time to trying to figure out what's happening 
And also, Spen- Emily has had the most direct contact with Spencer since all of this went down. Yeah, and I've I've said before that I think that Emily and Spencer both have, um, like, both have more leadership skills because, like, Spencer is always running to be the person in charge of everything, and Emily is, like, a captain of the swim team. So I yeah. feel like they both have, like, they both have some leadership experience, uh, whereas Hannah and Arya, because they don't really participate in a lot of group activities i mean aria was like a disastrous stage manager for that play um but other than that i I feel like uh that's just something that like emily and spencer might do a little bit more naturally because they've been in that role before well they also you know they've also both slept with Paige mccullers and Paige (laughs) has a lot of a lot of leadership experience so right over they're both gay, which makes them better at being in charge. Like, you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot happening. There is. There is. But uh, the bottom line of this scene is that they need to talk to Spencer. But where is Spencer? Where, indeed, uh, we see that she is locked in a cell at Radley, having a sandwich brought in that she is not eating because she is too busy looking wrecked and giving the camera a thousand yard stare. Yeah. So Spencer, Spencer is in Radley here. Um, we'll have more to work with in the next couple of weeks in terms of talking about Spencer, um, Spencer sort of going off the deep end, Spencer being declared, you know, quote unquote crazy. What are your, what are your first, first thoughts here? My first thoughts are that, boy, the accommodations on Rad- in Radley are so widely varied, like Mona's room with those nice peach walls versus this, like, basically this, like, barbed wire crate that Spencer is locked in. Uh, that's, that's really something. Um, but I feel like what has happened to Spencer during this spiral uh, is that Spencer has fallen through every single crack like her parents are never very attentive they've actually been like absent from the country melissa was like kind of trying to act like in absentia of the parents and that like she kind of like gave that up after ren was sniffing around uh ren himself was more interested in betting spencer than trying to like help her with her mental health challenges. And the other liars have just been spinning out so much in their own, uh, you know, in their own endeavors uh, that Spencer has just like, she's just, you know, swirled all the way to the bottom of the drain with no one around uh, to really be like, like, like Toby was never her safe place to land. But Spencer thinking that had a placebo effect on her, uh, that kind of was like a floor that she wasn't going to be able to fall through. Now that he's gone, uh, no one is is giving her any kind of uh, safe haven, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, she's she's completely free-falled here. Um, yeah, I, I feel like um, oh, I have, and again, I don't want to, I want to save a lot of my thoughts, I think, for the next, for next week, but I have... Um, I have very complicated feelings about Spencer ending up in Radley. I think that it is, um, in some ways, it feels sort of inevitable, especially when you track Spencer's, um, 
emotional journey over this over this last little bit of time. But I also feel like the show has this sort of attitude with Radley where it's like, it, it it's just like, there's no, there's no sort of nuance to Radley. You know, like Radley is just sort of this bucket that you get dumped in if you're, um, you know, if, if you've, if you've gone a little weird, if you've gone a little, if you've gone a little wonky. Um, and I, I don't really love the way that the show kind of just lumps all types of um, mental illness or mental instability into this one bucket. And that bucket is rattling. Like I take issue with that. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that the idea that um, Spencer, just by virtue of not having her, her cell phone or her ID could disappear to this level like that no one recognizes her like they haven't like sent a picture of her to the Rosewood PD for example where like anyone who works there or Pam Fields would like say oh that's Spencer Hastings like that that seems a little a little difficult to believe but the way that Rosewood generally treats women and generally treats people with mental illness it does seem like they treat Radley as kind of the dumping ground for for both classes of people yeah yeah it's it's very true. It's very, very true. Um, yes, so our A tag is that uh, it we get it, it's unclear whether A is watching this or whether we, we the audience are just watching it, but it does have a sort of voyeuristic feel to it. Um, but we see a fisherman fishing a rosewood uh, police baseball cap out of the lake where the uh, the the car was dumped. And setting it on the dock. Yeah, I, I like I said, I don't have a, a great uh, memory for like this period on the show. And when Malcolm was jumping on the bed, at first I thought that he was going to break his arm. Uh, and when the guy was casting the fishing line, I was like, oh my God, is this, is this going to be so hilarious that he like casts his fishing line and pulls the entire car up? <laughs> but then it, then it was just a baseball cap. So I was like, oh, well, okay. Well, and I kind of I like how the baseball cap works on a couple of levels because it's like it could be that that base that was just like Wilden's cap and it you know drifted out of a out of a window or you know a, a door that opened up or something like that, or it could be that a like very specifically planted a, a Rosewood PD baseball cap that had nothing to do with Wilden simply to get people on that trail. Yeah, I think Mona was probably in a scuba suit putting the baseball cap on on the line. That's what I think was happening. Yes, that and I totally see that. And that is a very entertaining image. Um, yeah, so that is out of sight, out of mind. Um, then what is the next episode? The next episode is do 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 do. Is it? It's not. I'm your puppet yet, is it? Is it? Let's see. It is. Will the circle be unbroken? Oh, that's such a good one. That is a good one. So exciting! Ah, yes, great. That that is a really really good one. Um, Oh, we're really coming up on the end because after that one, it's I'm your puppet, and then it's a dangerous game. So, woo! Yeah, yeah. That's where um, that's where Mona Mona visits Spencer and Radley, which is such a fun twist. After we uh, we got a ghost waltz on the horizon, everyone. That's right. And Missy Franklin. 
Oh yeah, we have yeah of the one of the most random cameos in all of PLL. Uh, do you think that that I mean that was like it's up there with Adam Vampert, uh, but like Missy Franklin is like explicitly introduced as Missy Franklin, so it like eliminates that sort of air of mystery. It does, and I think that I had just heard that like. Missy Franklin was, you know, this this was filmed like when she was, you know, on a on a on a cultural high here, and um, that she just loved the show and asked hmm. to be on it. So, you know, well, that's totally fine. I mean, they didn't make her sing "Cuckoo" forever, so there's <laughs> a point in her favor. Very true, very true. Um, but do we have uh, do we have any more thoughts about "Out of Sight, Out of Mind"? No, I mean, if um, if you or anyone you know has ever faked their own death and you would like to tell us about it, please feel free to send us an email. Yes, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast uh, or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Uh, yes, we will be back with Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Till then. next time. Thank you.